Support for studio sessions on KNKX comes from OB Credit Union, the original credit union of the Olympia Brewery, bringing pub-style banking to South Sound neighborhoods. OB Credit Union, offering Rainier, Pabst, Lone Star, and Olympia beer credit cards. More at obee.com slash cards. Let's hit it.
Ahí. Ey.
Yeah. That was fun, yeah. Yeah. Great. It's so great to have you here. So um, great to be here. Thanks yes. for having us. Well, we, uh, we do the show Jazz Night in America. So there I was oh, on cool. a Friday night. Yeah. And I was like listening. I was like, oh, this music is so good. So I love groove. And uh, and it was Corey Wong and the Wong Notes, which I just laughed out loud. I love the name. <laughs> that was so cute. And uh, yeah, that just set me on a little uh, rabbit hole to find out more about you. Cool. And uh, it's very exciting what you're doing. Um, it sounds old. What you're playing, it sounds old. It sounds like it's from the 60s or the 70s, <laughs> you know? It's yeah. got that sensibility. But the sound quality, of course, is just snappy and perfect. Thank you. So I just wanted to ask you, what drew you to this style of music? Because guitarists like yourself probably could pick what you want to do. Sure. I think the instrumentation is the thing that seems to be quite unique, but also because a lot of what I do is in the rhythm guitar realm, what I do is a little bit different than what some might expect if they were to hear, oh, there's a guitar player's show happening. They might expect a little more of the shreddy, super lead guitar, very kind of overt guitar playing that we know from the history of the guitar. Rightfully so, just because that's how a lot of the guitar has been used and a lot of instrumental guitar music has been played. And that's great. There is that sort of thing. But for me... I think the thing that's more compelling about my playing is in the rhythm world. So a lot of what I do is rhythm guitar based and kind of lead rhythm guitar. And the way that I grew up is I grew up listening to punk rock and ska music. So that energy and that sort of angst and thing come out in my playing. But also I have a five piece horn section and I credit a lot of that and loving that sound to actually being really into ska as a kid and thinking, oh yeah, we gotta have the horns, gotta have all the band nerds in the band, you know? Uh -huh. And me being one of those, but it's like... <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I love that sound and I've always loved, I've been a big jazz fan since I was a kid. My dad had a huge record collection that was organized by Blue Note, CTI, ECM, Columbia, all these different jazz records and jazz fusion records and, my ear got hip to that stuff from a very young age and I've just been a fan of it and curious about it. So kind of blending all those different types of things together to kind of create a sound and kind of form a, a band that has a thing has been really fun. Um, there's something great about rhythm. I've always loved it myself too. So, and of course, this is the rhythm section. Yeah. And uh, but y'all are just in it, and this is a percussive instrument. So I'm get you know it's just yeah, really yeah. it's really a lot of energy, which is just so dynamite to see. Um, how did you find these folks to play with? Kevin and Patar and I met in college. Kevin and I actually met our first day of college together Aww. at music school. <laughs> They paired us, I mean, basically when you go to music school, a lot of them, they'll do some sort of entrance exam, some, you know, check out your musical aptitude and try to put you together with people of a similar caliber or whatever. And Kevin and I got put into the same ensemble together. Oh, nice. And we grew up in Minneapolis. Well, Kevin and I did. And Sonny is a Minneapolis music legend. And we've been watching Sonny play since we were kids. And... Then eventually, once we started cutting our teeth, actually playing professional gigs around town, we'd get hired on some of the same things that Sonny was getting hired on, and then eventually played a bunch of shows together, a bunch of random things for other people, recording sessions, and then 
kind of was able to absorb Sonny into the band here. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. Batar's from school too. Yes, yeah. Batar is from. Well, why don't you can you can say whatever you want to say. I'm from Serbia, oh. and I basically arrived my freshman year when Corey and Kevin. Actually, Corey was graduating. I had Kev, just graduated. Yep, yep. And Kevin. Kevin just stayed a little Kevin longer. did the six-year method of, <laughs> of college. He took some time off. He took some time off from school. Yeah. But I met, actually, <laughs> same thing. I met Kevin my first year of college. I we played a bunch of recitals together. Yeah. Like, our friend Jose Pena, we played yep. his recital together. But same thing. I moved to America, pursuing music, and here I'm in this jazz club with a teacher, and here comes this young man. Hey, I'm Corey. I'm like, hey, I'm Pitar. And like, we heard so much about each other from other people. And we finally met at this little jazz club, the Artist Quarter. And then two weeks later, we were in the same gig. And I don't know, that's how it started. Yeah. And then we all saw Sonny kind of at the same time at this staple called Bunkers oh. Bar in Minneapolis. Yeah. And you played there with me a few times. Too. And uh, a lot of times. Seven though. years, man. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah. So. Oh, that's wonderful. It's so, it's so great. Um, love the horns. Uh, I'm a huge horn fan, too. I'm trying to learn trombone, actually, myself, because I love it so much. It's so I'm hard. sorry to hear that. Yeah. It's so hard to play. <laughs> Ooh, it's oh. not pretty. But, but, but you know, it's, it's so electrifying. My dad, yeah. my dad as well, which is hugely into horns. And I know. The well, trombone's a like tough one to learn. It, yeah, it is. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, I like that tone. I like that yeah. tone. Yeah. Yeah, um, really, yeah. yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, um, I was going to ask if you do if you're doing your own horn arrangements because that's the whole thing, right? Well, our trombone player is actually the one that does the horn okay, arrangements. Okay, okay, very cool. And it's kind of a common thing for trombone players to be horn arrangers, and I think it's because there's less trombone gigs in the world, and it's a way <laughs> it's this extra skill set they they bring to the table, and I think they'd be the first to tell you like, yeah, if there's anybody in the section who's going to go first. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of times it's the trombone player, <laughs> so they keep their job security a little more. Right. In this case, I mean, he's an incredible, Michael Nelson, he's, he's worked with me since the first record that I've done of my own music, and we've worked on so many things together. He's a brilliant, brilliant horn arranger, and he's worked, everybody from Prince to the Jonas Brothers, like any, a lot of these big pop acts that need horn arrangements, they'll go to Michael, and it just so happens that we played a lot of the same gigs around Minneapolis together and started this Minneapolis racquetball club. And I was like, oh, you're that dope horn arranger guy. Oh, you've worked on all this stuff? Cool. And he's like, yeah. And, you know. this ball. <laughs> uh, it was just this sort of thing where, you know, it actually was a lot of, uh, and, and like all of us, it started with a lot of friendship and then just moved into more serious playing music together and more of a professional relationship as well. So you, I've read a little bit about you uh, with regard to these songs that you're writing, you're bringing to the world, and, yep. uh, and lyrics. And you have said, I would like to, I'm paraphrasing, uh, get the audience engaged in a song that has no lyrics. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. I think we inherently use music for emotional escape and like I was saying, when I was a kid, playing punk rock and Scott was like a way to get energy out. When I would listen to these Green Day or Blink-182 songs, it was like, I, I feel like I'm a part of something. Or like going to Warp Tour, I felt like I was a part of a community or something. There was so much emotion. There was so much of a thing happening. And 
lyrics are a way that we can really connect in a very tangible way because they're they're just much more obvious. Like we can hear the lyrics of a song and really relate to the story of that, relate to the person that's singing it or the the subject matter that's being talked about or whatever. But I think instrumental music has an equal power, but it just it takes a different type of listening and it takes a different type of absorbing in the art in a similar way where um, like going to view a landscape or going to view visual art, you have to kind of imagine the story your own, interpret it in your own way and kind of absorb it in your own way. It's not as given to you right away in the same way that lyrics or poetry is, where we have a different tangible connection with words. There's a different type of connection we have with visual art, with absorbing nature, with absorbing instrumental music. And it's really interesting for me to try to solve that riddle of bringing some sense of instrumental music to the general zeitgeist or the public ear. You know, and I think a lot of areas of the world, it's more popular. In the U.S., it's a little less popular. And I totally get it. There's there's a lot of reasons why, but it's been a fun thing to just kind of go out and be an ambassador for instrumental music and try to get people who would maybe otherwise not listen to much instrumental music to try to find some sort of connection with what we're doing. Excellent. Tell me about funk. Tell me about what it is about this, what you're doing here that's a little different than... Sonny, I think you got to... Yeah. What is funk and why do we like to play funk, Sonny? Well, the reason funk is, is a rhythmic thing based on feeling. It's it's a feel, but it's, it's a technical end to it also, though. But funk for me is more of a feeling like, you know, like on the bass, I play a lot of false notes and I play a lot of real notes that you can hear. But the ones you can't hear, are, but you think you're hearing them, they're, they're actually there, but they're actually false. Those are the notes that are moving, you know. So funk to me is it's, it's just it's a whole feeling. It's something that makes you go, oh, man, yes. Yeah, just makes me want to move. I mean, even the arrangements, the horn arrangements, the guitar, especially guitar. If you don't have the right funk guitar, it ain't funk. <laughs> if you don't I have the agree right that. funk yeah. bass, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it ain't, and the, and the pocket of the drums, the way the drummer plays, you know, the two and the four. <clears throat> you know, it's you know, depending on what song it is, you know, which tempo you're using, it's it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, and it's 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 a happy sound, and it makes people want to dance. Well, and it, you know, it really is kind of unusual to have a guitarist who, who says, I, I just want to get a groove going for everyone. Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you know, hard, yeah. And, 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 and your solos were delightful, but they, oh, but they don't, you, like, you know, it isn't that, that rabbit hole that so you see some guitarists go down where it's like, oh, that, that solo's going on. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it kind of passed like, a, like there's attention spans, right? Yeah. And it's like, so I'm, I'm delighted by what you're doing. Um, but Tar, can I ask you a little bit about. Uh, your your style because you're you're real snappy and fun. It's not an overwhelming sound. Yeah, yeah. So tell me how you developed that. Came up with that. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Over there? <laughs> it's not an overwhelming sound in here, but uh... <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> again, I hailing from Serbia. I my dad as well as like kind of Corey's dad had a, a big collection of records and I list, spend a lot of time listening to a lot of James Brown and a lot of Weather Report but when I always listened to all the James records it was always like what on the one just hit the one just 
just every time. And then eventually, again, once I moved to Minneapolis, I was still fusion-y, really fusion-inspired and pl playing all these notes until I started playing with Sonny and this whole crew of Minneapolis musicians that were coming from the Prince School, coming from that whole Minneapolis sound there. And where I was, I remember I sat there and the drummer at the time, Michael Bland, was like, hey man, it's great you can play all that. Can you play some pocket for me, please? <laughs> and, like, and my, at the time, my English wasn't as good as now. Not, not that it's good right now, but it was way, I'm like, why is he talking about a pocket? Like, what is pocket? Is he talking about pants? Am I pants down? I was really confused at, at what pocket was. But eventually, I started sitting sitting in with this band and with Sonny, and we did so many gigs together. Where, so many. Where, I don't know, Sonny, you can say how much my playing has changed over the course of 10 years. Oh, yeah. But he's, he's changed a lot. It's just for the better. I mean, he's, he's, he is, I just watched him grow just Aww. exponentially. And same thing Real. with Corey. Like, if you saw Corey, Kevin, and myself play in 2011, you would not even yeah, imagine we were that, yeah, yeah, we're that we would be doing, <laughs> that we were playing this, like, <laughs> we were young, we were excited, and I, I don't know. I mean, we were chasing different things at that time, and yeah. eventually I feel oh, like yeah. all of us landed on this style of music where we are somewhat, like, we found a signature sound in our own instruments, basically. Especially Corey, who is such a, like you said, he's a rhythm guitar guitar player that's leading a band. A he rhythm guitar. But he can smoke some solos, too, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also one of the big things that we, I guess every musician who has a, a fair amount of technical facility on their instrument, we can fall under the the temptation of wanting to show people how much technical facility we have on our instrument. Look what the, look at this thing that I practiced. Oh, look at this thing that I can do. And I think we used to get caught in that trap and just thinking, oh, playing live is all about showing people what we can do, as opposed to really respecting the art and the art form and the specific songs we're playing and just using what is required for the song or for the style. And that's something that we're constantly growing and learning about and adjusting our tastes. But, you know, like Pitar was saying, 10 years ago, we were maybe playing things that we thought were cool at the time, but were probably just inappropriate for the music that we were playing. <laughs> and now, you know, imagine that you grow. It's classic. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the, it's the age old story. Yeah, the energy. Yeah, yeah. The desire was figuring, figuring things out, I guess you know. Yeah. And it was, was it was awesome though. It, it, it was young and foolish and whatever, but it was still. I'm sure it was fun. It was a growth yeah, experience yeah, of like study yeah. weather report and all that and Chick Corea and them and uh, all that stuff back. Yeah, Sonny always talks about the romantic the warrior. Demons, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing you know, it's like. You're not going to get a job doing that. So <laughs> you got to be able to play well with others, too. So yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make sure we get Kevin here. Uh, tell me a little bit how, uh, how the keys fit into all this. Uh, well, with this band, uh, I play a lot of organ. Um, and since Corey's covering the rhythm guitar, 
like in a typical like say quartet like this, guitar might be taking a lot of the leads and I would be playing more of the rhythm. Since Corey's doing the rhythm, we have to kind of uh, co-rhythm guitar because the horns are taking a lot of the melodies. So, um, which leads me to playing, um, yeah, a lot of organ, a lot of kind of pads, uh, synth tones. Um, I'm kind of like a texture guy, I guess, um, uh, on a lot of songs. I'm just kind of filling in in the gaps. Um, but yeah, exploring, you know, with this band, it's a lot of, a lot of piano, organ, synths, and uh, just a lot of fun little things. Yeah, I noticed <laughs> you and Corey were like trained on each other for sure. Yeah, 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 we got to get locked in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like he's saying, sometimes our roles shift back and forth. Right. Like on a couple of the songs that we play, we'll shift off kind of who's leading something, kind of pass the baton to each other. And that's built into the writing. Also, because I don't, as much as I love the guitar, I don't love just hearing guitar play things. Like, you, piano is also a great melody instrument. Why not? Me play some and then pass right. it over to piano and back right. and all over the place. Variety, so, you know. Yeah, so Kevin and I end up switching off roles in certain things. And, you know, we've played together so much over the years. Yeah. That we can kind of anticipate certain things. Or right. he'll, he knows my tendencies towards things. So if he sees that I'm going somewhere, you know, he knows when to zig or zag. Yeah, and yeah. whether to do it at the same time or go different spots. Yep, and we're always communicating, you know, throughout over the years and throughout the the tour, just talking about arrangements and working things out. Um, we're always communicating is a nice way of saying we're always <laughs> calling each other out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. As it has it happened, lots of ways when... to communicate. <laughs> Tell me uh, if you can think of something uh, real funny or that you can share a story of uh, your work together or an incident, something be fun to hear, something surprising yeah. people wouldn't guess. <laughs> Sonny's like shaking that. his finger like, something don't that you go could there. Talk about. <laughs> well, no, I think the, the thing about playing so many gigs together over so many years is that we end up, like Kevin's, like we, if something is... We're always looking out for each other to be the best that we can be, mm -hmm. and we communicate that in many different ways, whether it be positive or negative, positive or negative <laughs> reinforcement. But unfortunately, I mean, the thing about being from Minneapolis is, for whatever reason, there is a long-standing history of negative reinforcement in the Minneapolis music scene, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it's what we grew up with, and it's kind of how we were conditioned. I mean, Sonny can attest to that from the Prince school and that whole, right. when he and Prince were growing up, that was just, it was already present there and it just kind of got passed down. So there's this kind of weird <laughs> thing that we all get and it's not, I don't know what it is. Like it's, it, there's no actual harm that's meant in the way that we're trying to make each other better. But I think some people watching from the outside, if they don't know, it's like, geez, these guys, what's going on? Do they hate each other? It's like, no, 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 not at all. There was one gig that the three of us were a part of, and the three of us knew each other pretty well, but there was... Are you talking about the living color thing? Yes. Okay, yeah, go on. We were, we were rehearsing, and I don't know, me and Corey, this is like our fifth year of playing music together, and we we're in the rehearsal, and there's six other people that don't know anything about us. They're like, oh, we just hired these guys. And Corey and me are 
we're not gonna get in a fist fight here, we're, but we're, we're bickering at each we're, other. Yeah, we're bickering. Like, people thought, wait, Patar called Corey to do this gig. These guys hate each other. <laughs> but literally after that, our, our argument was done. All right, bro, you wanna grab some food? Yeah, right, like, right. We're yeah, yeah. eating snacks and grabbing drinks and just having the best time ever. Like, and everyone was like cutting the shot. Wait. This was yeah, and, and that like he said, that was five years into our friendship. So we've learned after ten more years of that, when there is somebody else around, how to dial it back, or right, somebody who doesn't right. know, because it's it's, it's again all about our opinions about what should happen in the music and yeah. whatever. So it it sometimes comes across in a way that people are like, what is going on with these guys? When the tour manager joined us for the first year, last year for the first tour, the, he came to my house and we talked. And it's like, anything I need to know, I kind of gave him like, I think me and Corey can fight sometimes and don't, don't that, don't, that's scary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's brother, right. older, younger brother. Right, that's what it is. Yeah, it's not the Eagles out here. Yeah, it's a sibling thing. And then, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. No, that makes so, sense. No, it's cool. So we, I have to ask a few for Prince stories because, of course, I, you were able to sit in, right, with Prince? Sonny was in his band. And Sonny yeah. grew up with him. I mean, you know, we all love Prince so much. So When I first got in a group, we cut Diamonds and Pearls like in one day, that whole record. You know? Really? Yeah, we cut all that stuff, man. We did like the basic tracks pretty much in one day. Me and Michael and Tommy. Because he called me because, you know, we had been friends from childhood. And he said, Sonny, you want to join the band? I had already had been touring with them when they did the nude tour. But I was playing guitar with Mavis Staples. And so he was going to get rid of his guitar player for whatever reason. Miko, he was dope, too. Hey, Miko, how you doing? I hope you're out there somewhere. But anyway, um, so when we got back, he called me. He said, hey, Sonny, you want to join the band? I said, yeah, why don't you come out to Paisley Park? So I get out there. And the next thing you know, we're just working all night the first day you know and i'm like well man prince we gonna let us go home it's like man we gotta i gotta go home man it's like i gotta take a shower or something you know so we ended up recording all of these tunes and all the years that i was there we recorded so much music there's so much stuff that hasn't been released that we did in the, in the new power generation that was the, the original new power generation that's in the vault still and i'm i have a feeling it may come out but yeah, that's my my Prince story is uh, I, and plus I just say I miss him a lot. We were really good friends from childhood, on till the end. I seen him like two weeks before he died, you know. And this man almost got in the band, and I. <laughs> yeah, he was coming out to watch all yeah, us play. Yeah, he's coming right out before... to watch. He came down to bunkers. He always was there, you know. I set up a yeah. table for him. He called me, son. He set me up a table, and Patar didn't believe we would see it living color down yeah, there. Was... And Patar didn't believe he was gonna come. And I said, I said, he's coming. He's going to be there, man. He's going to watch you play. So next thing you know, here he come, these big body guys, and there he is. Hey, Prince, how you doing, man? Yeah, nah, nah. So check out Batar, man. He's dope. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's and, and Corey has that same ethic. You know, he's labor intensive, for real. And I really appreciate that about him. He works really hard. And he really respects the music that he creates. And he expects everybody else to do that also. So, and I, I think that's great. You brought up The Vault. I I heard, I actually listened to a really interesting NPR. The There's a This American Life episode where they interview 
the cat that opened up the vault after Prince died. Nobody could figure out how to open the vault. Oh, Nobody dude, knew the right. code or whatever. And this cat was like the number one vault cracker in the world. And they were being all secretive about what it, what the job was. And they're like, you're going to have to fly in. It's this really high profile thing. This guy's sweating. He's like, if I, I have one chance to open this vault and if I mess it up, all these recordings, it's like something where it like, oh, implodes oh, or something. <laughs> no. Dude, you got to listen to this. It's, it's oh, a This yeah. American oh, Life yeah. episode. I don't remember yeah. which one, but oh, wow. it's yeah, incredible. It it's like a 15-minute story, and the guy talks about opening the vault and how he did it oh, yeah. and how he nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's enough music there to release 10 records a year for the next 10 years. Oh, yep. my gosh. a lot of music. Just, Ten just, full albums. The ideas just year. load all the time. With all the time. Yeah. yeah, and actually, I we watched Michael Bland has a DVD of you guys playing some late night thing. It's you, Prince, and Michael. And Michael. Play, Michael's right. in his pajamas. It was 4 Michael's in his pajamas. It's like a four a.m. video. Is it honky you guys at the. And what? Oh yeah, Honky Tonk Woman. And is it like, Lenny Kravitz or something? Yeah, in the Lenny, video? Kravitz, yeah Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz is in it or something. Yeah. He just like shows up for half the thing. Right. <laughs> I was like, what is this? I was like, it's give crazy. me this DVD. I want a copy. He's like, no, 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 man. It's not leaving the house. <laughs> like, hey, man, it ain't, I hear him now. Hey, man, it ain't out, man. It's wild. <laughs> I, I mean, there's so much. And Michael Nelson, the guy who arranges horns in our band, he was showing us, because he was yeah, arranging and orchestrating all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, showing us all this stuff where Prince was playing these guitar, epic guitar solos. And then he wanted Michael to orchestrate around the solos it's this insane yeah. stuff that i can't believe it's not out i know i have a feeling it'll probably be coming out <laughs> yeah i'm sure it will it'll Some all now, eventually yeah yeah well Corey, what what um what drives you like what keeps you going because you if you are as motivated to do, as prince which is what a big compliment that is and and uh you know uh pushing toward it like what what is it that keeps you going Maybe it's a combination of uh, reducing boredom and <laughs> just <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is. Like I think certain people are born with with extreme ambition for certain things and a deep curiosity. And I think that's maybe part of it, but also I think also, you know, as I find out more about myself being quote unquote neurodivergent or whatever kind of this ADHD thing where I have certain ways where I kind of constantly shifting attention but there are certain things that I can have extreme focus on that kind of bring it all together and that that helps and it helps me like organize thoughts in my head but also feeling a real sense of purpose in life with music and a real calling to something helps. And like we've been saying throughout this thing, just a respect for the craft of what we do, trying to find what it is about myself that I can express in the world, find what it is with collaborators that I can do. The interesting thing about music is that people expect musical artists to release something, oh, maybe once a year, 18 months, every two years, four years or something. But if you take a look at a lot of visual artists or you take a look at people in the TV and film, well, more specifically live TV, 
like The Late Show or The Tonight Show or those sort of things, they're churning out their art constantly. Or, you know, you look at um, This American Life, you know, any, any of those sort of things, like we're talking about. So many other art forms are kind of allowed to do a lot more or to be a lot more prolific as far as number of things that we put out or numbers of times that you can explore a certain idea. Like if you take a look at Salvador Dali using a melting clock in more than one painting or Monet painting lily pads in the Japanese gardens hundreds of times over a decade late in his career, we don't allow musicians to record the same melody more than once without just being like, oh, you're stealing from yourself, or like, oh, you're using, you're regurgitating the same idea. It's like, well, yeah, but so did all these other visual artists. Why don't you allow that in the musical world? And then just the release cycle of things, it's just a totally different thing. So I'm kind of wrestling with all these ideas and trying to figure out what music and releasing music and expressing art in this form looks like in the modern era, especially because distribution has changed so much. So maybe some of the the reason why things are normalized in the in the music world as an art form are because of distribution in the past and needing to be in record stores and having a real record cycle, where now it's just, we could record, like these songs that we recorded today, we could have them up on Spotify Literally tomorrow, I could call my distro kid representative and just be like, hey, I want to put these up tomorrow, and they'd figure out a way to make it happen. You know, it's wild. Yeah. The, um, the songwriters in ABBA, like a fascinating mm-hmm. documentary I was watching, uh, he's, he's like, yeah, I, I, we write like a song every day. Yeah. And if we got a good one a month, Yahtzee, yeah. Yahtzee. And I was just like, you know, I'm a songwriter as well, so I was just like, yeah, I just got to just write all the time. Yeah. <laughs> just fill up notepads. And, and then, you know, and, and, and I had one of my bandmates say to me, well, you know, what do, we, what do we ever do with that song? I'm like, it's there. It's there. If we want to go back, we can yeah. grab it. It's not like someone's going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, I, I love I love that that metaphor with the artist. I, I think that's exactly right. Just produce. Because yeah. we don't know how long we got. So just exactly. go. <laughs> well, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else anyone would like to add that I may have missed? That was a great conversation. I don't thanks. want to keep you guys too long. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. I wish. I got band practice. This was great, though. I felt like good. I had like, a front row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your own concert. And all my friends yeah. are jealous that I got to do this. So thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yep. This has been a studio session. Corey Wong, of course, on guitar. Kevin Gestangue on keys. Uh, Sonny Thompson on bass and Patar Janich on drums. Oh, and Corey Dupre. <laughs> I did it. That's that negative reinforcement. <laughs> <laughs> and Corey Dupre, their tour manager, has been along. And uh, today's uh, studio engineer, Brian Moynihan, we're so thankful for also the uh, video recording that we're going to have uh, thanks to. Um, Parker Blom on our video. Thanks, guys.